Luke chapter 22 begins with the Passover. It's going to end with the betrayal of Christ. The verses that I want to keep on... Verse 40, if you would. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. I'm going to make a little application here. We have come to a place. Not speaking about the church. I'm talking about your home. I'm not talking about necessarily your personal life, though it may be so, but our nation has come to a place Christ is coming to his darkest hour. He knows what's ahead for his disciples. And his admonition is, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And my advice this morning to myself to my family, to my friends, my friends in the Lord, specifically. Pray. And pray that ye come not into temptation. We'll see in this chapter some of the temptation Christ faced. But the Lord's going to personalize a few things in this chapter. You see, it's very difficult when you go through the Bible, Old Testament or New. It's very difficult for you to place yourself into the Lord's circumstance. It's very easy for us to place ourselves into a man's circumstance because we can relate to man. It's interesting to me, there's going to be argument among the apostles. The Lord had told them at the meal, after the meal, that he would be betrayed, if you flip back to verse 21, and the Lord said in verse 22, woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Well, when they hear that, they begin to inquire. That's the term used. They begin to inquire. They're questioning. They're, they're wondering, and, and they have a curiosity. But it's only one verse later that something else becomes more important than the betrayal of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, it just takes a step for us to think about ourselves than to consider the Lord, what he's doing in our life, what he's doing with our nation. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is coming back. 
And our prayer has to be, thy will be done. So look at verse 24 just a moment, and you'll see what the strife is all about. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? I love my Lord, and I love this Bible. Because God's going to tell them something about their future, which is true for my future. And if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is true about your future. Revelation chapter 1 speaks to the church when it declares that he hath made us kings and priests unto God. That's in the eternal kingdom and during the millennial reign. But it's very personal here with the apostles. Jump to verse 28. They're striving about who's going to be chief among them. The Lord says, by the way, that you've got to become as a child, you've got to become as the youngest, you've got to serve and not be served. But he tells them this, in spite of that, he says in verse 29, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. God just told us during that millennial reign, during that eternal, everlasting kingdom, 12 men, Judas not one of them, Paul's the replacement for Judas. There's typology, beautiful typology about that in the Bible. but they have a throne waiting for them, a kingdom waiting for them. And because they have that kingdom, they have the right to sit at Christ's table. You remember Mephibosheth in the Old Testament? Taken from the land of poverty, injured in a fall as a child, helpless, and David extends the kind mercies of David and puts him at his table but before he puts him at his table, he restores the lands to Mephibosheth so that Mephibosheth deserved to sit at his table. And I thank God for that. The New Testament declares, it's the first chapter of Philippians, he hath made us meet, worthy, accepted in the beloved because of our faith in Christ. That's speaking of the Father has done that. Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. When you receive Jesus as your savior. I don't care if you were in the bedroom. I don't care how young you were. How old you were. I don't care if you are in the church house. I don't care if you were in the pickup truck. The Bible says that the Father. Because you fell in love with your savior. Translated you. Into that future kingdom. For all you folk who are worried about losing your salvation, God's told you some things about your future. But we like to worry. We're just creatures of habit. Don't want to waste a good worry. And that's what leads us then to not just the apostles in this chapter, 
but to one apostle. And you probably know who. And it's Peter. And if you look at those next verses, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, here's something you need to see, something you need to know. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, there's one of two things about this, and I could go either path, but I only think one's correct. The first path is this. When you think about Satan sifting someone, the entire Old Testament is overlaid with one man's name, and that's Job. And we draw a lot of strength and comfort because of what God allowed Job to go through. So either God's telling Peter, I've elevated you to the same level as Job. And the reason why that's not a bad thought is that when the Lord is answering questions from John the Baptist who is in the prison and he is so ill, he is so weak, he is so disturbed, he is so near death, He's beginning to doubt everything. And he sends his apostles, his disciples rather, to ask Jesus if, if they're looking for another. And the Lord says of John, in his present condition, there's none greater born of woman. And then he adds something. I hope you read your Bible often. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven. That's the church. That's salvation. That's in Christ. Is greater than John. Either that's what the Lord's trying to point out. To us. Specifically as a direct message to Peter. Or it is simply this. We all face a time, and possibly more than once, that we will be sifted. We will be tested. We will be tried. Peter gave an answer, and I my heart, I'm certain he's thinking of what we're going to see in this chapter in a moment. When he says, Concern it, consider it not strange concerning those fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. I want you to notice what the Lord, how the Lord prepares Peter. Because that's what we need to know. I have no idea what may happen tomorrow, and I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. God's taken care of me 70, going on 71 years. 
I know I don't look it. No. And he's going to take care of me the rest of my days no matter what happens. And he'll do the same for you because he has promised to do that. And God could take care of Israel and the land of Goshen even through the plagues of Egypt or the wandering in the wilderness, not God's design, but our own stub man's own stubbornness. Notice what the Lord says to Peter, verse 32. Number one, I have prayed for thee. We think about Jesus as the advocate. We think about Jesus primarily, I, I, I believe most of us, think about Jesus as the advocate regarding salvation. And when I grew, was, grew up in the Catholic Church, I, I somehow had this impression that, that God, the Father's on the throne, Jesus is before the throne, lifting up his hand, trying to stop and hold back God the Father to somehow that I might be spared. That's not the Bible. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. I can't make Cain get saved. And God can't go back and get him either. Cain chose his own path. But today's the day of salvation for anyone who still has breath in his body and will listen to the Spirit of God and turn to Jesus Christ by faith. The Lord prays about a lot of things beyond our salvation. He prays about everything in your life. He prays for you. He desires us to stand before him without reproach. And we can do that if we'll live a life submissive to his spirit. Abide in him. Everything wants you out of the word of God. Everything wants us away from the Lord. Everything wants to block our prayer life. But we need God now. And he is with us. But he wants us consciously consciously walking with him. He tells Peter this. My primary prayer, Peter, is that your faith fail not. It tells me a couple of things. You know, there are some folk who say, well, no, Peter couldn't be a saved man and have denied the Lord. He had to have gotten saved after. But if you go back to Peter in the boat, when he falls on his knees and confesses that he's unworthy, he's a sinner. You see his salvation. And the Lord confirms the fact that faith, saving faith, abides inside of him before all this is going to take place. And it will abide with him beyond all of this. The trials we go through... God wants to strengthen us through them. He wants us to come through with a faith that fails not. 
You've seen them. You've come across them. You've run into them. Someone here with the sound of my voice might be in that very battle. Something happened that so throws us, so tosses us like a wrestler, so pushes us aside that we have yet to get back up on our feet. Look toward the heavens and declare my faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The Lord tells him what the outcome is going to be. When thou art converted. I know we use that term converted for salvation sometimes. Southern Baptists love that. I just like Bible terms. Saved, born again. When I watch my mama make a cake, she converted a few things. They didn't get saved. They got destroyed. I devoured them. As soon as she got finished, no matter if it was cookies, cakes, pies, but she took all those ingredients and she blended them and mixed them and tossed them and measured them and stuck them in a hot oven do you know that's what's happen, happening to you in your life? That's what's happening to Peter in this chapter. And when it was all over, God said, here's your purpose. Here's why all this took place. Verse 32 Last three words, strengthen the brethren. You ever heard a saint of God bitter? You ever heard a child of God complain? An older saint, bless their heart, but they'll go back to something that happened. 10, 20 years ago, some tragedy in the family. And their focus is stuck there. And it's not where God wants the focus. Listen, God's trying to comfort us. God's trying to strengthen us. God's trying to get us through that. We, God wants us to see his hand in our life. So when we come to the end of that, when that time period, when that trial, when that sifting, when that challenge, whatever that stumbling block might be, we get back up on our feet. We can sing through it all. God wants us to strengthen the brethren. not to destroy the brethren. So here's what the Lord tells Peter. Three times the Lord says, 
you'll deny me. Look for time at verse 54. This is Christ's arrest, and I, oh, I hate to miss this. Look very quickly at verse 48. This is the betrayal. And by the way, the greatest example of Peter strengthening the brethren, put a little side note, Pentecost. Pentecost. As well as the two epistles that he's got in the back and is helping of Mark write the gospel. But Pentecost. But notice what the Lord says in verse 48. Jesus said unto Judas Iscariot, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? The reason I want to touch on that for a moment is Matthew 7, the Lord warns this world that there are many religious people who will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this or done that in particular? Wonderful works in thy name, prophesied in thy name, Cast out devils in thy name. And the Lord's going to say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's a family relationship. You and I are a child of God only by our faith in Jesus Christ. You remove Jesus Christ from that equation, you are not a child of God. You never will be a child of God without Jesus Christ. The Lord does go on and say, they that do the Father's will. Well, what is the Father's will that we believe the record of his Son? It's that simple. That God sent his Son into this world. And Jesus is God's Son, God in the flesh. But I point it out because many religions Betray the Lord. And Judas's betrayal here is a denial. But Peter does not betray the Lord. He denies the Lord three times, but there's a distinctive difference. When we talk about Judas's betraying the Lord and his denial, Judas never believed he was the Christ. That's what Judas denied. The mystery of iniquity. It already was working in Paul's day, in Christ's day. It's been working since the garden. That's what beguiled Eve. It is the denial of Jesus Christ. The Antichrist will deny that Jesus is the Christ. He'll claim to be the Christ himself. But Peter, he knew who Jesus was. He believed who Jesus was. He declares over and over, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But knowing something about his future is bothering him. Can I just say this? I... Oh, i got to cut this short, but can I just say this so we can get it on your plate and off your worry? You will fail God. 
okay? Somewhere, some way, you will fall short as a child of God. You will face failure somewhere. That doesn't make you any less a child of God. And that's what's so marvelous about our salvation. So Peter goes from worrying about what he's been told to being embarrassed. The Lord himself had said, I, I set you out without, without script, without a garment, without a purse, and, and you lacked nothing. And then he says something strange. He says, now take your, take your purse, take your money, and sell a garment and buy a sword if you don't have a sword. The Son of Man came to not bring peace, bring a sword. And yet the Bible says they that will live with the sword will die with the sword. What gets this passage away from a physical weapon is the disciples telling the Lord we have two and Jesus saying it's enough. Peter draws one of those swords and he becomes embarrassed not just by his lack of skill but by the Lord healing the ear. God wasn't talking about a physical weapon, folks. I've got those two swords right here. It's called an Old Testament and a New Testament. And what's inside this is enough for every battle, for every problem. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So very quickly, look at verse 54. So Peter goes to following afar off. Now, all of them from Matthew's gospel, all of them fled. Even John, all of them fled. John didn't go so far. Peter didn't go so far. We don't know about the others because the focus isn't on them. John follows him, gets inside the house at Caiaphas. Peter follows afar off. So he's in the wrong position in verse 54. He's with the wrong crowd in verse 55. I wonder, are you with the wrong crowd this morning? Oh, not here in the church house, not a bit. Not coming to work here, to, you know, like you did Saturday helping out. That's wonderful. I'm talking about Saturday night, Friday night, last week. A lot of people where you work, which ones do you gravitate to? If you look at verse 60, where you have that final direct, man, I know, not final denial, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake the cock crew, you got to rem remember something. You're, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the Lord sees us. And Peter, in verse 61, locked eyes with the Lord. Or I should say the Lord locked eyes with Peter. Now here's what I need to do when I'm told that I'm going to be sifted. And the Bible has just told me that. And I can look back in my life and I can see some things, but I, I know I haven't seen all of them because I've not died yet. 
We need to remember God's word. And if you haven't grown enough in it, if you haven't hidden enough of it away, if you haven't become familiar enough with it, then you need to start. We need to remember God's word. Peter does the one thing I think all of us have as a child of God done. When's the last time tears flowed in your eyes? I remember a man in North Carolina came to me. Well, I won't say where. He had two wonderful children, a loving wife, and he ran off with somebody. And that somebody went through every dime he had and then ran off with somebody else. Left him broke and broken. It was after his service one night. We were talk, He wanted to talk. We were talking. Tears in his eyes, he said, Preacher, I can sit at the kitchen table with my daughter and I can see her doing things that I know is going to lead her to trouble because I've been down that road. And I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but because of what I've done, she won't listen to a word I say. Wouldn't it be better to be broken over our kids before we get to that place? Instead of after we get to that place? On this Memorial Day Sunday, the Lord's, God's will, required the Lord to be betrayed. It required him to be disgraced. You think about how they treated our Lord and then crucified. It required him to lay down his life, to die. And it caused the dispersal of the disciples at first. And I don't know what you're facing. But he's touched with the feeling of our infirmity. And because of what Jesus Christ went through for you, you can come to him and find help in time of need. But because of God's will, we saw resurrection. And we found righteousness. And we've received justification. And we have literally become joint heirs with Christ, which is all in this chapter.
it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. You can come through that sifting. In such a way as to strengthen the brethren. And to be stronger in the Lord. God gives the reason why. He's giving a kingdom specific to these 12 men. It is because they have faced the trials with him. And Paul speaks of that when he writes to the church, that he might fill up the sufferings of Christ. And child of God, what you're going through is not to harm you. It is to help you in this life. And God will honor you that much more in the next. And if you're listening to me lost, you can continue to deny that Jesus is the Christ and face the eternal judgment of those who turn their back, not only on the Lord, but who blaspheme the Spirit of God and his testimony. Or you can listen to the Spirit of God and humble your heart and receive the salvation that is through faith in Him. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.